Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 17, it says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of the Almighty, because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity, for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But this that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard him and were taught by him, because the truth is in Christ. You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by the deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new man, the one created according to the Almighty's likeness, in righteousness and purity of the truth. What a group of powerful verses here in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. We've been studying for months now on why we have become Christians and how that was made possible and even why that was made possible. But now Paul's about to get into what the Christian's life looks like and what it doesn't look like, what we should imitate, how we should act, and how we shouldn't act. This is the practical section of this book, the book of Ephesians. This is the part that you get to participate in. If you remember the first three chapters of this epistle were all Yahweh's doings through his only begotten son. But the last three chapters are about you and your performance as a a Christian that Yahweh has formed you into. How many people know that when Yahweh has converted you, you become a new creature? You truly become a new creature. You become a different creature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And that is along the same lines as what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and following. He says, you took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new man, the one created according to Yahweh's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Folks, this is not an addition to who you already are. It is a renovation of who you were. You're not the same one anymore. You have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you who live, but rather Christ who lives within you. And the life you live now as a child of Yahweh, you live by faith in the Son of Yahweh who loved you and gave himself up for you. There is a transformation that has occurred in your person, and you are no longer who you were. If you are still the same person, then your transformation has not occurred. When Yahweh gets a hold of you, I assure you that you will look different. You will not look the same as you once did. There should be a change, a change that is recognizable and a change that is extreme. I'm not talking about physical features. I'm talking about actions. And let me say this. When Yahweh saves a man, his nature will be changed. However, he is still incarcerated in that old fleshly body. So even though it's not him that lives in that body, it's Christ. His Christ-like nature still battles his fleshly carcass that he's held in. And this is why in 1 Peter, this is precisely why in 1 Peter, in chapter 2 and verse 1, Peter says this. He says, so rid yourself of all wickedness, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. In other words, get rid of that old flesh. Take it off. Get rid of it. Strip it off, if you will. Verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. Take off your former way of life. This is Paul's approach to the believers in Ephesus. You are now Christians on the inside, meaning Christ lives within you, 
So we should strive to make the outside man match the inside. If Christ fills us, then we should, we should look like that on the outside. Let the nature that's new permeate the body that's old. That's the idea. So that's where we're headed with this, or I guess I should say that's where Paul's headed with this in his attempt to talk to the church in Ephesus. So that's it in a nutshell, basically. But we're going to go back, and we're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to go through these verses to see how we get to this point. So in verse 17, Paul says, Therefore I say this, and I testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk walk in the futility of their thoughts. All right, before we start to unpack this verse, let me say this. Number one, it's chock full of information that's needed for our understanding throughout the next, the rest of the, the few verses that we're going to deal with. And so we're going to have to spend a little time here in the first verse, in verse 17 or the 17th verse. And first of all, what I'd like to start with is that word, therefore. There it is again. The reason the word, therefore, is there is because it is incumbent that we perform according to who we are in Christ. The whole Bible is full of therefores, wherefores, and senses. And the reason is because as a Christian, you are required to give a response to that which is commanded or demanded of you. We're required to do so. See, back in verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Well, how do we walk worthy of that calling? Well, we move back to verse 17, and he's going to tell us. He says, for starters, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. See, in verse 2 through 16 that we've been studying for the last couple months, we've, we've been there for a few months, and he's been talking about how we're to perform corporately. We're to function in unity and one accord in humility with compassion for one another, constantly building up the body with every functional gift we have. That's what he's been talking about. But now Paul's going to deal with us on a personal level as individuals. As new true saints, converts in Christ, how should we now portray Christ in our personal daily lives? This is super practical for us. You can take this home with you. You can practice this every day. This is what we need to do. Now, we get to shuck the old man and walk in the new man. That's, that's the beauty. But how do we do that? Well, the first instruction we get here is to not walk as the Gentiles walk. We're not supposed to walk the way the rest of the world walks. We're supposed to be a unique people with a unique conversion. We have a unique creator, and we are to be identified as unique, a peculiar people, if you will. The world is a dead world. We're part of the living. What does light have any dealing with darkness? Right? If we were to act like the world, we would have to imitate the dead. That's what we would have to do. We, we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I assume that you don't want to do that. We're saints of Yahweh, and we're to act like we're saints of Yahweh. That's the idea. The world is sexually immoral. We are supposed to be sexually moral. The world is jealous. We are not. The world is full of anger and outburst. We are supposed to be full of joy and peace. The world is hateful, but we should be full of love and kindness. The world has a standard, has no standard or law. Anything goes on in the world, but we follow the law of Yahweh, the only standard. Amen. The world is faithless, yet we are full of faith. As a matter of fact, our very being is built on faith. The fact that you're a Christian is built on the fact that you have faith. So we're not supposed to be anything like the world if we are truly a, saint of, truly a child of Yahweh. We are new creations already suited for eternal Amen. existence. Okay, We're already suited. So now it's time for us to shell the old smelly carcass that we live in and start shining forth the true light. That's the idea. 
We must become the salt of the earth, the city that's set upon the hill. That's our job. Now, unfortunately, we all know that that's hard for some reason. It's not easy to be set apart from the world. Instead of the church helping to transform the world, it seems as if the world is constantly transforming the church. But we have to continue to strive to be unique and to be set apart from the world. That's what we're supposed to do. I want you to look at that word Gentile there in verse 17. The word Gentile comes from the Greek word ethnos, and it has a couple different meanings. We get our English word word ethnic from it, or ethnicity. That's where it comes from. But it can be used in several different ways in our Bible. One way is talking about different people based on their physical descent or their ethnic background, like the difference possibly between a Jew or a Greek, or even two people of different races. That's the way that it can be used, all right? That's possible sometimes, but the word Gentile can also be used of two different groups of religion or religious practices like pagans and Judaites or pagans and Christians or heathens and righteous, okay? And dealing with this word in its context here in Ephesians, I believe it is referring to the spiritual sense of the word. In other words, we shouldn't walk as the Gentiles walk in their religious practices. In verse 18, it says they are excluded from the life of Elohim. Well, why are they excluded? They are excluded because of their wickedness and their hard hearts. In other words, they love their sin. They love their pagan deities. And they love sexual impurities and their promiscuity. They love these things. Now, if you know anything about first century Ephesus, you would know that they were steeped in paganism. Or you may know that they were steeped in paganism. See, the city of Ephesus was a huge multi-ethnic center for trade, commerce, and culture. Ethnic, I mean, Ephesus was huge. It was a big, big city, okay? It was so big that in population, it was only exceeded by Rome and Alexandria, Egypt at the time in the Middle East. It was that big. It was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia, and it housed about a quarter of a million people in, in, in the first century. That's a, that's a lot of folks. So while it had many Judite people within it, it also was home to Greeks, to Romans, and to many other diverse settlers from the Mediterranean world. They constantly moved through there, okay? Ephesus was along the way of a major trade route. So people were constantly funneling through the city from other nations. They were pilgrims. They were travelers. And other people in search of business and religion and things like that, they were constantly coming through there. This place was big. It was like a New York City or a Las Vegas, perhaps. It was it was a big deal, all right? It had a huge library in it. It had museums. It had amphitheaters. It had a medical college and many affluent estates within it. Some that are said to even exceed 10,000 square foot in personal homes. Imagine that in ancient times. Can you just imagine how big that would be? So Ephesus was pluralistic in many ways. Not just also in religion, but it was pluralistic in many ways. Many different religions and cultural groups alike were prevalent there. And plurality was not only widespread, but it was also encouraged. Polytheism was encouraged. It, wasn't, it was it was. A good thing to have many gods, to serve many gods, to worship many ways. It was a good thing to them, all right? Perhaps even more so than modern-day American culture today, if you can imagine that. It may have been more prevalent then. But there was one occult practice that was very, very incredibly powerful, okay? And extremely influential over a lot of the people there, and that is the Artemis cult. All right. You may know this pagan god as Diana. You may have heard it like that before. Well, let me say this. Just because Diana is a pretty name, that doesn't mean that she was a pretty goddess. She was extremely 
ugly. I've seen pictures of these statues. This woman is rough looking. I mean, just like um, it's a woman dressed up with crowns on her head with like uh, looks like scales on her body, but they're supposed to be eggs. She was the goddess of, of their goddess of fertility and things like that. She's extremely ugly. Anyways, they believed that the statue fell from heaven. It was worshipped by many, many people, okay? And because Ephesus was on that major trade route, many, many people also come also come just to worship there at the Temple of Artemis. They just come just to worship. In fact, the great turmoil that took place in Ephesus in the book of, the, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19 and verse 23 and following, was because of a great multitude of the Ephesians, including the tradesmen, the silversmith, and other local retailers, they were in danger of their profits going down because Paul was there telling them, preaching the gospel, and he was also telling them that gods made with hands were not gods at all. If you remember, if you're familiar with the story, the silversmith got fired up because Paul came in there and he routed the crowd saying that the gods, the idols that they were building out of silver and making statues, they're not gods at all. He says they're just they're man-made toys. They're, they're no good for nothing. See, when it came to the goddess Artemis in Ephesus, a huge, huge ministry was developed and grew up around the cult and the temple where the statue of Artemis was. You guys have to think big like Disney World or something. I mean, it, it, was, a, it was a big deal. I'm talking about drawing people from nations far away to see this goddess in her temple. I thought about this when I was, when I was preparing this sermon. I know that people that are local around here, you may remember when... when um, uh, Nancy, I can't remember her last name, but Fowler. Fowler, Nancy Fowler claimed to see the Virgin Mary and all that kind of stuff and had the, I mean, groves of people come come here. The side of 138 would be lined up with cars, people who believe this stuff, and they and they would come park on the sides of the road and fill these fields full of cars, and they would walk around drinking holy water and things like that. Imagine that on steroids. This place was huge. It was big. It was a coliseum. This was a God that these people put up on a pedestal, you know. So it was a big deal. And this place was heavily defined by that occult, which believed in dark magic and spiritual powers. There's a lot of there's a lot of history to that. And if you take your time to read into, into some of that, it'll it'll open up your eyes to what's going on in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians here. See the church that Paul's writing to faced incredible influence and temptations towards individualism rather than unity. Paul talks about that in, in the in the last sixteen verses, and the and other sorts of heretical ideas and all kinds of winds of teaching. All right, this is why Paul says in verse fourteen of Ephesians in chapter four that if you will unify and study under the pastor and teachers and evangelists that are true and have been sent to you, you won't be led away by every wind of doctrine. And he's talking about these doctrines that are coming out of this pagan city, okay? So understanding Ephesian culture helps to explain why Paul says you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. The word walk here is not a reference into how you move around, okay? It's a word used to depict a way of life, everyday, daily life. That's what we're calling walk here. In other words, we shouldn't practice our daily lives as the Ephesians did. We shouldn't live and worship other gods, gods made with hands, as the pagans did. So I hope you see that the word Gentile here is not talking about ethnicity and race or genealogy. It's not talking about a Judite versus scattered Israelite. It's talking about a Gentile who is a heathen or a pagan. Okay, Heathen worship, that's what the, that's what the reference here is used for. Someone who is removed from Yahweh and has been entrenched in an unholy lifestyle. It's used the same way here 
that it's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul says this. He says, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who know not Yahweh. It's that simple. As a Christian, you should know. You do know Yahweh and his Messiah. So don't walk as you don't know Yahweh just like the heathens and the pagans do. Our situation is the same today. Our problem is not getting the world to act like Christians. Our problem is to get the Christians to stop acting like the world. That's our problem. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-3, through 3, he says, One who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for Yahweh's will. For there has already been enough time spent on doing the will of the pagans, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. We've already done all that, folks. That's the old man. You've already done all that stuff. All that time has been spent. We're done with that. We've already done the old man. If you're a new man now, come out of that. Don't stay stuck in it. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 says this. It says, Love not the world, neither the things of the world. For the world passeth away, and all the lust there in it. Folks, one day, all your cash and lust will be turned to ash and dust. But that's the way it is. It's a fading and unprofitable thing to carry on like that. Come out of her and be separate. This is not just Paul talking here. He testifies in the Lord in verse 17. He says that, and that basically means that he swears by the Lord. He is a guarantor of what the Lord says. He speaks these words as a witness for Christ. And he's talking about your mind, your understanding. He's trying to, he's trying to get in there where you reason. In verse 17, it says that the pagan Gentiles' thoughts are futile. In verse 18, it says that they dark, they're darkened in their understanding. It's all a mind thing. What they think of is messed up. So as Christians, we're to think differently from pagans. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in verse 14, it says that the natural man can't comprehend the things of Yahweh. He can't understand them. We have to think differently. We, have to, we, we think differently so that we act differently. Sanctification is a change in a mindset. We, we're growing in our mind. I think back about my youth and I can remember some of the things that I was involved in at a young age. And praise Yahweh, I'm not that way anymore. I'm not involved in those things. I've been made new. I've been transformed. I don't desire the carnal things of the world. As a matter of fact, I hate the ways of the world. I absolutely despise them. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely not perfect. I'm fleshly and sinful just like we all are. But I have been given a new heart and a new mindset, one that pricks me when I sin because I once was ignorant of Yahweh's ways, but I'm not anymore. I'm not anymore. Men in the world today without Yahweh are ignorant. And they're self-centered. And I know because I was one of them. I was the man that every step I made was a willful rejection to Yahweh's morality. I was that guy. I did whatever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to, whatever whatever felt good to the flesh, just like the pagans in Ephesus did. I did that. I did that. I was that guy. There's a reason that I don't like rap music and trashy movies today. There's a reason that I'll get up in the middle of a movie and walk out, the one that has vulgar obscenity in it, the clips of sexual immoral people in them. It's not because I can't understand what those people are doing. It's not because I'm old-fashioned either. It's because Yahweh hates it. And I was filled with Yahweh's Spirit. 
He hates filth and all kinds of deceit. And I love Him. I love Him. So if He hates it, then I'm going to hate it. If He loves it, then I'm going to, I'm going to love it. I love the, the little kid on the playground that gets picked on this. Maybe wearing the glasses. It doesn't look as cool as the rest of the kid. You know, maybe his pants are a little, uh, a little ragged and a little tore and everybody else don't think he's as cool. I love that little kid because Yahweh loves that little kid. I don't care what's cool. I don't care what's worldly. I don't want to be part of the world. So if that's what makes you cool, I guess I just won't be cool. I don't want to be that person. Yahweh's giving me a new heart. Yahweh, Yahweh loves the orphans. Yahweh, Yahweh loves the, the, the people that don't have anything. That's, that's who He loves. And so I want to be like Him. Again, it's not always easy. I'm not saying it is. The struggle's real between the flesh and the Spirit. But praise Yahweh in His Spirit. He's given it to us. Praise Him for it. And furthermore, what good is the filth that, that the world has to sell you anyway? What good is it? What have you benefited from it? What part do we as Christians have in that? We're supposed to be set apart people. We're not to be conformed to the world. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to applaud or support or participate in any of that carnal filth. We're not to have, we're not to have part in it. At the end of verse 17, it says that they, meaning pagan Gentiles there, walk in the futility of their thoughts. In other words, they walk in vanity. They walk in vanity. Uselessness. Uselessness. Their thoughts are stupid, folks. They run in circles. They chase bubbles that they blow. Their whole mindset is vanity. They have no idea what life's about. They're foolish. These people function based on their own mind. And it's all a wasted mind. It's futile. It has no meaning. Their thinking is useless and it accomplishes nothing. Life amounts to nothing for them. They consume themselves with monetary things and ideas that end up in a junk pile. That's the way it works. I was thinking about this when I was writing this sermon. And I don't know if anybody else sees it this way. I know everybody in here probably is on Facebook but me, and that's okay. I don't, uh, I don't fault you for being on Facebook. I talk to people sometimes, and you ask them a, just a simple question or a, a, a lifelike question that requires an answer. And I get, I get, a lot of times I get an answer that comes off a Facebook page. And um there's no thought put into it. They they just answer me based on some kind of post they seen, and that's their understanding of how this this question should be answered or a problem should be dealt with or something like that. And I think your mindset and your understanding is only as deep as Facebook. You've never thought about that. You've never that's never processed in your mind. You've never run that through the Bible. You don't use the Bible as your standard. You don't, you don't understand what, what Yahweh would, would have to say about that. You simply heard somebody make a comment and all of a sudden that is the way, that is your view on a certain subject. It is ridiculous to me. I've, I've got family members that um, if I want to know what Facebook says, all I've got to do is ask them a question. They will answer me with a Facebook post. That's, that's the way it goes. Look at, uh, look at King Solomon. It's futile. There's, there's no mindset there. People don't think. They don't reason. Look at, uh, look at King Solomon. He's the wisest man in the world. He had it all. He had, all, he had the most money. He had the most women. It says that he had over a thousand fleets of ships. Okay, But he opened up this book of Ecclesiastes that he wrote, and this is what he said. He said, vanity, vanity, vanity. All of it is vanity. It's all vanity. Listen to me. You will blow your mind. You will ruin your marriage. You will destroy your family. You will de- blow your money. 
you'll wipe away a good any any good that any anybody has ever thought about you chasing after this crazy stuff, this crazy lifestyle. We anything that you work for that's not here is a waste. It's a waste. I'm not saying don't take care of your family, folks. I'm not saying don't feed your kids. I'm not saying there, there are things out there in the world that, that, uh, that are not good. That There are some things that are good and that are wholesome. But, man, chasing wild dreams, trying to, trying to store up treasures here on earth, it's a waste of time. It's vanity. It's vanity. This is exactly what Paul is warning the Christians in Ephesus not to do. He says, don't walk like them. Don't act like them. Their thoughts and their actions are vain. They're futile. Look at verse 18. It says, They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of Yahweh because of the ignorance that is in them and because the hardness of their hearts. So there's a second thing that pagans are characterized by. Not only do they function in their own mind, doing their own thing, but they also ignore the truth. They're ignorant of it. Boy, it's hard to witness to an atheist today and to tell him that he's ignorant, huh? You find somebody that don't believe this book right here and you try to tell him that he don't have a clue about what the truth is. You know, that's hard to do. And I guess that's because everybody's educated in the world. Everybody's got so much education. And it is an educated society to some degree. But what are they educated in? What are the people educated in? We're drowning in college graduates today. And we still have 25-year-old men that can't change their own tire. We got all the college graduates, but we got 25-year-old men that can't change their tire. They can't raise their family. They don't know how to treat their wife. They don't know how to train their children. They're they're not moral men. It's silly. We've got all kinds of educated people today, but just like Paul said, they're ever learning, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Like I quoted a minute ago from 1 Corinthians chapter two and verse fourteen, a natural man doesn't welcome that what comes from Yahweh's spirit because it's foolishness to him. It's foolishness to him. Romans 1 and verse 21 says this. It says, Their thinking becomes nonsense and their senseless minds become darkened. Then in verse 22 it says, Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And folks, listen. They were senseless to start with, but then their minds became darkened. That's a judicial act of Yahweh. That's a judicial act of Yahweh. They were just senseless, but once they were excluded from Yahweh, they were darkened in their understanding. In other words, he blinded them from the truth. Does that remind you of a verse? It reminds me of one. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 says this. It says, And because they they thought it not worthwhile to have Yahweh in their knowledge, he delivered them over to a worthless or a reprobate mind to do all that which is immorally wrong or morally wrong. See, if if you choose to go the way that is wrong and you choose to live your ridiculous life, then Yahweh just might confirm it with you and let you go ahead. He might just let you go on in it and darken your understanding and blind you from the truth. He won't let you see it. Folks, this unwillingness to yield to Yahweh is a pattern. And after a while, it gets easier and easier and easier. And before you know it, you're set in it. Then once it sets up, it's like concrete. It's a petrifying process that eventually sets up and creates a stony heart. After a while, our conscience becomes seared. And it's not able to do what it was intended to do to start with. Your conscience plays a big part. It's supposed to prick. It's supposed to make you feel bad when you do something wrong. You're you're supposed to recognize your sin and repent of it. But if you keep on doing the same thing over and over and over again, after a while, you just get numb. You just get numb and that prick doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work anymore. Okay? 
You can't give your flesh one inch of ground. Frankie was talking about this last night. He's talking about how people just quit coming to church and before you know it, they're not Christians anymore. Well, it's true. I know people who have gone the same way. Falling away from Yahweh is not something that takes place at once. It's not a... It's not overnight. You're not sitting in this church every day all the time and sitting here and feeding on Yahweh's Word and then all of a sudden next day you're just a non-believer. That doesn't work like that. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. The gospel message was shared with some of the pagans in Ephesus, but they just didn't believe it. They just didn't believe it. We have the choice to believe and to follow or reject the truth. Okay. To prove my point, let's look at verse 12 starting in verse 37. John chapter 12, starting in verse 37. If you got your Bibles, will you flip over there real quick? Alright, John chapter 12 and verse 37, it says this. It says, even though he had performed, talking about Christ, so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. But this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And who has the arm, the arm of Yahweh been revealed to? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and be converted, and I would heal them. See what happens? They were alienated from the truth of Yahweh. In verse 38, they didn't believe. And by verse 40, they couldn't believe. Yahweh hardened their heart. Yahweh blinded them so that they couldn't receive the word of Yeshua and wouldn't be converted. They were all around him right here. They were all around him in uh, in the previous verses. He showed them miracles and all that kind of stuff. They just didn't believe. And so Yahweh hardened their heart and then they couldn't believe. The mind has to be converted. It has to be converted. We have to think about Yahweh and his ways. We We have to desire to be what he wills for us to be. Folks, the flesh is weak. If we give it an inch, it'll take a mile, and it will lead us straight to the pit. That's where you're headed. If you follow the flesh, you will end up in the pit. We will be blinded in our futile understanding. Okay? Let's look at verse 19, Ephesians chapter 4. It says, They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity of the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. The first part of this verse says that they become callous. That means they they were past feeling. They were insensitive to their sin. They didn't care. They didn't care. There are no standards. They don't mind that their actions shock people. Folks, that's the society that we live in today. That's the society we live in today. We're so, so smug that we don't care what anyone thinks. We'll quote that famous verse to them. Judge not. Judge not. Christians are non-Christians. They'll quote that verse to you. The the non-Christians may not know any other verse in the Bible, but they know that one. They know that one. They take it out of context, strip it from its context, but they still judge. They still tell us not to judge. They tell me not to judge. They said, judge not lest you be be judged. I tell them, twist not Scripture lest you be like Satan. They don't know that one. We drink down sin like water, folks. We drink it down like water. We're shameless and we have nothing more to hide. That's an ignorant, self-centered society. I'm not saying that all of us are that way. I'm talking about I'm talking about America, the nation that we live in as a whole, okay? The world is void of the truth. There is no code. There is no ethics. There are no morals. The world is full of a bunch of reprobates. 
It is full of them. And all the callous, callousness of people leads us to the end of verse 19. Because the world, world is callous, Yahweh gave us over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. It doesn't, for more and more. It doesn't just stop there. We desire to keep doing it. We desire to keep doing it. See, shameless thinking people turn into shameless acting people. If you think that way, you'll act that way. We wonder why in our society we have so much mental illness and crazy people. Well, I'll tell you why. Because we have so much unblushing obscenity. That's why. People have given themselves over to the lust of the world. They have become comfortably numb. That's the old Pink Floyd song. They have become comfortably numb in their own warped minds. You say, where does all the homosexuality come from? Lesbianism, abortions, feminism, disobedient children, disrespectful youth, lying, cheating, stealing, and every other obscene thing. Where does it come from? Well, I'll tell you where it tells you in verse 19. People have given themselves over to it. They've given themselves over to it. They have made a choice to serve the wrong master. They've made the choice to serve the wrong master. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and in verse 4 it says this. It says the, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Yes. Those, they chose to do evil. And then they chose to do it again. And they chose to do it again and again and again. And now they're callous to it. It doesn't even bother them. It doesn't even bother them. They keep on until Yahweh hardens their heart. And if you keep giving yourself over to or agreeing with homosexuality and people who lie and people who cheat and people who steal, all these perverse things, well, eventually you'll just become callous to it. If you can go sit in front of a movie and sit there while they have some kind of obscene sexual picture on TV and you just sit there and watch it, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. You need to get up. You need to get up and walk out of there. When, they, when that stuff comes across the film, don't say, well, I'm grown. It don't really bother me. I've heard cuss words my whole life. Don't listen to it. Because what happens is you get numb to it. You get really, really numb to it. And then that stuff doesn't even bother you anymore. When you walk down the street and somebody says a foul word, it ought to pierce your ears and you think, what's wrong with him? It, it ought to shock you, but it don't shock us. You know why? Because we hear it every day. We see it on every TV show. We hear it on the radio. When I was growing up, Man, you didn't hear this stuff. You didn't hear this stuff when I was a kid. Everybody was closed on Sunday. Wrong Sabbath, right Sabbath. They didn't work. You know what I mean? It's a slow fade, and, and we just get numb to it. We just get numb to it. They keep on until Yahweh hardens their heart. And if you keep giving yourself over all that stuff, you'll become hardened right along with them. And it won't bother you, even if you don't participate in it, but you just, stand, but you just don't stand against it. It will become common to you to the point that it doesn't bother you at all. And this is true of our society today. There was a time, there was a time when dirty business was hard to find. There was a time when dirty business was hard to find. It wasn't in your face all day, every day like it is today. You didn't have YouTube and you didn't have all these internet sites and all that kind of stuff. And they didn't sell magazines at the front of the store right there beside the cash register where every kid that's that tall can look at. They didn't have that kind of stuff in stores and stuff like that. If you wanted something like that, you'd have to almost go out of state to find something. You better know somebody that had a that had an end somewhere. They didn't have that stuff. It wasn't in your face like it is today, but it is, however. That's not the case anymore. The, today it's a, it's, a wicked, it's a wicked world out there. We're not supposed to be like that, okay? People turn filth into business today. That's what they do. They sell it. They sell it. Someone was telling me the other day that um, 
I may have my numbers off a little bit. I know I got the last one right, so let me tell you the first one. He said that it, he said there was a poll ran to see how long it took for 250 million people to participate in the first airplane ride. It was 48 years it took for 250 million people to get on an airplane. 48 years. It was it was 24 years for 250 million people to ride in a car. It was 14 days for 250 million people to visit a porn website. 14 days. 14 days. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. We are Yahweh's children. We are not to be part of that. We're not to be part of that kind of stuff. We're not to walk that way. We didn't learn of Christ that way. You didn't learn of Christ by by looking at things like that and participating in the world like that. We are holy people brought with a, bought with a great price. A great price. We shouldn't partake in any such thing. So I asked you today, have you become comfortably numb? Are you just numb to it? Are you just comfortable in the sin that goes on around you? Do you participate in it? Do you put up with it? Do you allow it? Do you let it come across your TV screen when your kids and grandkids are sitting in the living room right there watching it with you? Or for that matter, do you watch it? Do you sit there and you just say, ah, it's no big deal, it's just a TV show? Or do you turn that off and you don't support it? You don't watch it? If you have become comfortably numb, then I have this to say to you. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. You want to know the step to being Yahweh's child? You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. This is the first one that he gives in, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17 when he's talking about how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to act. This is the first command that he gives. You're no longer to walk as the Gentiles walk. Repent of your ways and rid yourself of the filth in the world that the world has to offer. Just because we aren't traveling many miles to worship a goddess made of stone doesn't mean that we aren't worshiping other gods. Just because we don't cross land and sea to go to Ephesus and stand in front of a Artemis god doesn't mean that we don't worship gods right here. That we're not part of that crazy idolatry. Okay, The filth of this world today is the exact same thing. Take off your pagan way of life, the old man that is corrupted with the filth of this world, and walk in a newness of life. Put on the new man, the one that's created according to Yahweh's likeness in righteousness and purity and faith and truth. We will get more and more into verse 20 through 24 the next time that I teach, and we'll talk about the righteousness and purity and the truth. But for now, pray that Yahweh doesn't blind your eyes. Pray that He doesn't blind your eyes and cause you to live this life as a futile and ignorant person. Probably that he doesn't that he allow you to see that he'll allow you to walk not the way that the Gentiles walk, but in truth, but that you'll walk in his ways in all honesty and all truth, in a manner worthy of our calling, worthy of the price that was paid for us to have it. Thank you, Yahweh. Yahweh Father, we thank you for for um, your word and your truth and Yahweh, I just thank you for your love and your compassion. Father, I was I was this man that's described in verse seventeen. And Father, without you, I don't, I don't stand a chance. Father, but you've delivered me from the bondage and, of the world and, and all the wrong that I did. You've delivered me for that. You've, you've forgiven my sins just like you have many others. And so, Father, I pray that we recognize the gift that's been given to us. And Father, we appreciate it. And we appreciate it by, by keeping your commands and walking in your ways and honoring you as our Father. Father's Day is right around the corner for us here in America. And Father, I don't know what you've recognize father's day but you are a father you are a great king you're a great father you're the father of all fathers and so father we lift you up today for that we're just thankful for your instructions and how you've uh, 
how you've taught us to live and how you've taught us to walk. Father, I just pray that you'll forgive us when we, we disobey and when we fall and when we fail. But, Father, I pray that you'll constantly encourage us with other people and with the gifts that you've given to the church to continue in your <clears throat> continue in your ministry, to continue in your, in, uh, in your ways and walk the way that you'd have us to walk. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for you and your plan and your perfect world and your creation that you've given us, Father. I'm, I'm, I'm especially thankful for your only begotten Son. His work at Calvary for our sake, and Father, the the blood that was shed so that we that we wouldn't have to die, but we we could have eternal life. Father, we lift you up for that. We we give you praise today. We lift him up for that. And Yahweh, we honor you. We honor you in His name. Amen.